This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm from the South, Arkansas to be exact. And let me tell you, there are worse things to fear than Florida man. This is Darkness Prevails, the best place to share your creepy true stories with the world, because this world is a strange one. Tonight, we're looking at some of the creepiest true or allegedly true stories from the South. You know, the states where people joke that cousins are a little too close, where everyone has tons of firepower stashed away where apparently some of the most horrifying things go down. Remember, you can always share your stories with me using the links in the description, and be sure to check out morbidmonsters.com for some creepy cool shirts. And real quick, here are my favorite early comments from my previous full video. Tanner Titan says, I don't like my house anymore now. Well, that's too bad. You're gonna have to live there until you move out. Until then, you might want to sprinkle some salt around your bed. Little Miss Chatterbox says, I've never been inside a haunted house. Now I most definitely won't. That's probably a good idea. Ghosts don't make very good company. Jameer Cards 27 says, Could we please get a full version of your outro song? Sure thing. Just click that download link in the description. You're welcome. Anthony Styles says, I'm surprised Luigi's Mansion wasn't on here. That's just great. Now I'm gonna be playing GameCube games for the next week. Nostalgia. And Nick says, the Valentine's Day special should be interesting. Y yeah, because I definitely didn't forget about Valentine's Day. Guys, I'll, I'll give you five bucks not to tell my wife. All right, now let's head south and see what horrors we stumble upon. Number one, Old Land, submitted by Chris B. I live on the outskirts of a small city in Southern Alabama and have lived here my entire life. Most of my family, at least my Creek Seminole ancestors since pre-Civil War era, have also lived in the region. That's Southeast Alabama and Southwest Georgia, the land I live on was actually part of the trail that Hernando de Soto and his men took from Mobile, Alabama to the east coast of Georgia, which might be a cause of some of this activity. I will try to keep this short because I still have paranormal experiences from time to time, but I'll include the stories that I believe have Creek or Seminole ancestry. At least I believe they do anyway. When I was around four years old, my dad and stepmom were dating. At this particular part of the story, she spent the night and we shared the couch together. I woke up in the middle of the night to see a man. Seeing a stranger in our home, I immediately covered my face with my blanket and waited for a bit, but the man never left. He continued to stare at me. He looked a lot like me, I sat up in my spot on the couch, still a little afraid, but I pointed at my nose and to his, gesturing in a way that asked a question. Do I know you? 
are we related? The man smiled at me, then slowly faded away. After this experience, I told my dad about it, and later on in life, I met someone who looked exactly like this man, one of my half-Sioux cousins, who I didn't meet until much later in middle school. After this experience, my parents had a priest come to bless our house, which did nothing, at least for me. The activity continued and sometimes got much more dark, as I consider that one a pleasant experience. The activity got so common around me that I became used to it, but there would be more creepy experiences to come. One of my last experiences with the spirits of my Creek Seminole ancestors happened about a year ago. We were camping at a nearby park, about 50 yards away from a burial mound, and this is what happened. I was in my tent, my eyes were closed and I was trying to sleep, but I could see through my shut eyelids the light from a fire which was supposed to be out already. When I opened my eyes, I could see a weird sight through my tent walls. They were thin, and what I saw outside was casting large shadows over my tent. It was people, people dancing around a fire, a huge fire, much larger than the fire pit we created on this camping trip. I slowly peeked outside. There were silhouettes bounding around in circles around the campfire. And even better, beyond the campfire where the lake was when I fell asleep, the lake was no longer there, and the other tents that were beside me along with the people in them, they were gone. It was as if I went back in time to witness this ritual before the landscape had been changed. Steadily and quietly, I crawled back into my tent, slowly zipping the tent back up before crawling into my sleeping bag. I wasn't sure if I was afraid or paranoid. I didn't want to make a sound or gather the attention of those dancing outside. They might not have meant me any harm, but when you find yourself in a situation that doesn't make any physical sense, everything seems a little eerie. After getting back home from that camping trip, it was easy to see that the paranormal activity in my own home, which is technically on the same property, had increased. I would see shadows around the house and at night, and electrical appliances would have anomalies, such as turning off and on by themselves. This never happened before. You might be thinking that none of this sounds very scary or dangerous. In fact, it might even sound cool, but that's not the climax to these experiences so far. You see, one day I was playing around in the attic, up in the rafters like I often did, Little did I know this would turn into a day that I would never forget. As I sat there on one of the rafters, I saw a shadow moving around to my left. It was behind me, but I caught a glimpse of it. Before I could react to what I saw, I felt something's hands on my back. It pushed me forward violently with the force of a grown man, and I mean as hard as they possibly could. I fell forward, screaming, and in seconds, I fell in pain onto the sheetrock below. I was crying, and I had to be rushed to the hospital and have surgery. I ended up fracturing a few vertebrae, and I was told not to play in the rafters anymore. 
No one believed me even when I told them that it wasn't me, that I didn't fall off. I was pushed by the thing in the attic. These accounts I have usually make people feel uncomfortable around me and my home, and it does make people think that I might be crazy, but I'm telling you, the land I live on is very active with both good and bad entities. This land is rich with heritage, history, and spirits. To this day, I still get the worst feeling when I see the hole in the ceiling from which I fell. One day, I hope to set up a bunch of cameras and audio recorders around the house just to prove to myself and others that this isn't just me playing pranks or being superstitious. There's something supernatural going on here. Sometimes it's pretty cool and peaceful, yet other times it's terrifying. Number two, in the woods of Louisiana, submitted by Johnny. I remember my childhood very clearly. I remember the huge Victorian-style home that I grew up in. It was in a big patch of woods in northern Louisiana. Most of the trees were very tall pine trees. I remember they smelled so sweet. Our house was about five miles away from neighbors on all sides, and the only way to reach it besides a trek through the woods was a tiny dirt road that led from the main highway to our house. It was an absolutely beautiful setting for a beautiful home. The sun would burst through the trees, and now that I think about it, even during the height of Louisiana summer or the middle of winter, the area always felt as if it was fall, maybe a solid 68 degrees all year round, which is strange, really. I was a rambunctious child, eight years old at the time with a huge imagination. This huge imagination would be the explanation given to me by my mother when I told her that there were children living in the woods around our home. I've only ever spoken of this to my mother, and even now, writing about it, there are memories flooding back to me that I have somehow completely erased. There were vampires in those woods around my home. I'm sure of it. One bright but cool August day, I decided to play outside with our husky puppy, Marcella. We called her Marcy. My mother gave me her usual stay close to the house and don't go into the woods warning, and I bolted out the door with Marcy. My mother always reminded me that there were black bears in the woods and to never go farther than the edge of them, which literally surrounded our entire house besides the small dirt road. I remember seeing at least two black bears, but that's beside the point. Marcy and I were playing fetch one day with an old baseball that I had, and my last toss was a little too hard. The ball whizzed past Marcy and rolled into the thick woods behind my home. Marcy ran for it, but stopped dead in her tracks right at the edge of the brush and began to snarl. The hairs on her back stood up, and I remember being filled with a sense of panic. Marcy, what's wrong? I asked. Right after I spoke, I heard a snap in the woods and fear took over me. I screamed for Marcy to come back and ran for the door to my house. Right before I closed the door, 
I saw the baseball roll back into my yard from the woods. After that, I didn't go outside for a while. After a few days of hiding, my mother convinced me that it was probably an animal and that it was long gone by now. I remember the feeling of dread and panic that came over me and the deep growls coming from Marcy. That was no normal animal out there. Being a bored child though, I decided to venture back into the yard. My grandfather was a huge gardener and I collected seeds and small tools from him on my yearly visits. So I decided to make a small garden myself. It was about five in the afternoon and I knew the sun would be setting about two hours from then. I found a small patch of flat yard next to the tree line behind my home and I began digging small holes to plant lily bulbs. I became so caught up in gardening that time seemed to move faster and faster. Before I knew it, the sun was setting and twilight was approaching. As I realized this, I began to collect my tools and leftover bulbs to put them away. Just as I grabbed the last tool and turned to walk away, I heard what sounded like a child's voice. Hi, said the voice. It came from the woods right behind me. I snapped my head around in surprise. Hello, I asked. Hi, I heard, just as I saw a small girl peek around a thick pine tree. She looked to be around six or seven years old with long, ratty brown hair and dirty skin. She looked as though she'd been walking the woods for weeks. I remember her so clearly now. I remember her facial features were almost elf-like. She had a small nose that came to a point and even smaller ears. Her eyes were almond-shaped and slightly upturned. Her fingers were a bit longer and skinnier than they should have been. She was wearing tattered clothes that I didn't think were strange at the time, but now that I think back on it, were almost pilgrim-like. Out of all of this though, I will never forget her eyes. The iris of her eyes were a shade of gray, so light that they were almost invisible. They were striking, almost ghostly, and when she moved into the shadows cast from the tree, they seemed to glow. I think the term reflect is better. They were reflective like the eyes of a cat or raccoon. Right when I looked into them, the same sense of dread and panic filled me. I began to quiver. Stop that, she said, with adult authority. You, you scared me, I said. Who are you? Constance, she answered. She smiled at me, but it was cold. I'd never seen a child like this. Why are you in the woods? I asked her. I knew there were bears and I didn't want her to get hurt. I live here, she said, as she turned away and skipped through the trees out of sight. I was confused and scared, so I ran back inside to tell my mother. Of course she didn't believe me and told me that I must have imagined it. I think imagination is a crutch used by parents to explain things away that scare them, especially when it involves children. I remember after I told my mother, she went outside with her rosary and prayed over the yard for a bit, so I knew she must have been a little afraid. Despite telling me it was my imagination, 
she was still cautious of what I said. That night, as I was trying my best to fall asleep, I heard a tapping on my window. It was around midnight, and when I turned on my lamp, I saw the same girl from the woods just outside my window. She was standing there like she was waiting for me to open it and let her inside. My room was on the second story of the house, and there was nothing there for her to stand on below the window. What are you doing? I asked, startled. Do you want to see my house? She asked with the same cold smile. In the light of my lamp, her eyes looked animal-like, hungry. Get out of here, I said with as much authority that a scared eight-year-old boy could give. I was very afraid now, and I was beginning to cry. Tell me I can come in. We can play with your toys and bring them to my house. My family is very nice, but we're awfully hungry. Get out, I said again. She leaned closer to the window, and that's when I saw her teeth clearly. I'd somehow never noticed them while she spoke, but they seemed to change when she said the word hungry. They were sharp, not like horror movie sharp, but sharp enough to puncture what they bit into. They were all that sharp. My eyes grew wide and I began to scream for my mother. Let me in, let me in. The girl screamed as she hit my window. I was now screaming in terror as my bedroom door flew open. My mother rushed inside and turned on the light and there was nothing in my window. I told her what happened and she said that I probably had a nightmare about the girl. But right as she was saying that, I saw what looked like Constance looking up at me from the tree line. I saw those reflective eyes of hers, then saw two more pairs of reflective eyes. Those were at a much higher height than hers, as if they were from adults. While my mother was trying to calm me down, she said that we were going to visit my aunt and cousins the next day. What she didn't tell me was that she had lost the house and she was actually bringing me to stay with my aunt while she moved our things from the house to our new place. The next day, as we were loading some bags into the trunk, my mother told me that we were going to bring Marcy with us and that I should go get her. I found her in the backyard, snarling into the woods. I called her over and we quickly ran to the car. As we drove off, I looked back at our old home, and I swear I saw those eyes, three pairs of eyes staring at me through the trees. When my mom finally explained that we weren't going back, I was very happy. My mother said I even looked relieved. I'll never forget those eyes. Sometimes I see them in my dreams. I still wonder what would have happened if I had opened the window for Constance and I still shudder at the thought of being so close to her in my yard. I think, no, I know that they were vampires. They had to be. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi 
As they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US, each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode in Falconer, New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry while Steve, separately, researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in, or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Number 3. My Experience with Goatman's Bridge. Submitted by Brandon G. I used to be hardcore into the whole paranormal thing when I was a child, but like most people, I would grow out of it as I got older. But a trip to Denton, Texas would open my mind back up to the idea that there are things that just cannot be explained. I lived in Plano and have a pal who would often go exploring places in the DFW area, parks, creeks, even a few abandoned buildings. My pal, Kath, decided to ditch the normal routine of exploring the usual and brought up the old Alton Bridge in Denton as a spot to check out and said it was supposedly haunted and had, well, the goat man there. I laughed and asked why would a dinky old bridge be haunted and that's when she explained to me the man who was killed and hung by the KKK only to find that the noose they threw over the bridge with the man had nobody on it and they never found the body. This man was the goat man as he herded goats. The local legend says that the goat man tromps through the woods. I scratched my head at the two stories. After all, it's a bit odd to have two different kinds of spooky activity going on at the place. So I said, what the heck, let's go check it out. Now this is where it gets a little goofy, but then a little weird. I have a set of Stormtrooper armor from Star Wars, and I figured we could take some cool pictures in the area while we were at it. So imagine me in this plastic getup walking with Kath, checking the place out. It was pretty much empty when we got there, so we started going over to the bridge. It had a lot of graffiti on it, and most of it was pretty strange. 
Things like, kill yourself now, the goat man is watching. Oh, goat man, save me, sacrifice yourself to him. I figured it was just some edgy kids being, well, edgy. So we walked across the bridge, not noticing anything out of the ordinary, and went our way into the woods. It was then halfway through our walk that looped us back to the entrance of the other area of the bridge when I felt a strange feeling, like I was all alone despite having Kath with me. It was like there was a presence there that you couldn't see. It was odd, but not unnerving enough to make me want to turn back. I took off my helmet and looked around before taking a deep breath and huffing it out. Kath asked me if anything was up and I said, nah, and put the trooper helmet back on. I still felt watched, but kept going through the trail. Here and there, though, I started feeling that unnerving feeling grow, slightly more and more as we walked. It was strange. Whatever was making me feel this way, it seemed to be following us. Maybe Goatman had never seen a plastic man before, I thought to myself. Me and Kath made our way through the rest of the trail, and I could see the trees thinning out. I then decided for some reason to look down and check for mud on my boots, when I noticed a few noises around us, faint sounds of tree branches being moved. I looked around, and had to take my helmet off again to see and get a better look. Kath asked me if I heard that. I did, and we stood there for a good five minutes looking around, trying to find out where the noises were coming from. Kath asked if I wanted to get back moving, and I decided to hang around another minute before checking to make sure the costume parts were all secure on me. Then we moved forward. As we got to the end of the woods, it was when I suddenly felt super creeped out, and I felt something gently push on the back plate of my chest armor. What the? I said in a raised, confused tone. Kath was in front of me and asked me if I was all right as I spun around bringing an arm up to try to touch whoever it was that touched me, but there was nothing. Nothing was there. I felt myself get goosebumps and my hair stood on end. I asked Kath what the heck just happened, only for her to reply that she had no clue. I took my helmet off yet again and carried it in my hands the rest of the walk home both of us looking pretty darn confused. Neither of us said a word as we went on our way to the rest of the trail and to her car. I took my gear off and hopped inside, thinking that that would be the end of it. But the weirdest part was yet to happen. I got home and later that night went to bed pretty late, around three in the morning if I recall. I fell asleep quickly, but I got woken up wide awake by a hard slamming on my bed as if someone had slammed their hand down on my bed as hard as they could. I usually sleep facing the wall on my bed, and I was frozen stiff when that happened, too scared to look over to see what had done it. I stayed still, not moving an inch until the shock wore off. Then I jumped out of bed, scrambling to turn on the lamp by the bed. There wasn't a trace of anything or anyone. Nothing. Zilch. It's been a year since this happened, and I still can't come up with an explanation. But I'll tell you this, I do believe in the paranormal now. There are some things you can't believe in until you experience it yourself, 
and I'm somewhat grateful I haven't had another encounter with whatever it was that decided to follow me home from Goatman's Bridge. Number four, Urban Exploration Experience, submitted by Bobby. A few weeks ago, me and three of my friends, Kyle, Andy, and Max, went to four abandoned houses. Now, Andy, Kyle, and I have been planning this for at least a month, and we gathered a lot of supplies, and Andy got a new camera just for the occasion. We live in Georgia, and we decided to meet up at Nash Farm Battlefield at 7.20 p.m., and we all piled into Kyle's Jeep. On the way to a neighborhood across from the first house, we talked and cut up like any teenage boys would do. Kyle and Max made sure we knew the way to walk to get to the other three houses, and then told us what we planned on doing. So once we parked the car and we ran to the first house, we walked around to the back, and we entered through the garage. The first house wasn't very creepy until we went into the attic and saw a toy tractor. The moment I touched it, we all got a bad feeling and we left shortly after that. On the way to the second house, I got caught in a bushel of thorns. After my friends helped me get pride out of it, I was already wanting to go back, but I didn't tell them that. The moment we set foot into the second house, we were all immediately creeped out because on the wall right in front of us, shown by my light, there was graffiti on the wall, a spray-painted smiling face with the words next to it that read, Get out now. Being the two superstitious people in our group, me and Max left, but we had to wait outside for Andy and Kyle. Soon enough, they followed us out, we began arguing about going back into the house and how the words were not a request, but a command. I figured it was better safe than sorry to move on, but they said they weren't ready to go and wanted to explore more. We ended up going in again, only to find something just as creepy. Another illustration on the wall of three stick figures. They looked sad as if they had been left behind, and right above it were more words saying, leave now. Me and Max once again walked out, and this time refused to go back in. We just had a terrible feeling about this place. So we headed to the third house. Finally, this one didn't really have a creepy vibe to it. All that was there was some leftover underwear, and some footprints leading to the crawl space. The next house after that, and the last one, it was much the same, no creepy vibes, but there was a red spray-painted pentagram on one of the walls which was weird, but not enough to creep me out. After that, we started heading back to the car when I stopped and looked up into the window of the second house, the one whose walls repeatedly told us to get out. Just looking at it, it gave me chills. But when I looked up to the second story, into one of the windows, I saw someone looking down at us, a tiny, skull-like, inhuman figure it was at the corner of the window. Here is the picture we took, just in case you want to see the thing we saw in that house. After this, we all practically ran back to the car. We tried to talk it over, but I guess we all decided it was some sort of evil spirit that inhabited the place. 
All I knew for sure after that was that I never want to see that thing again or feel that sheer terror. And number five, the white truck, submitted by Jordan. This happened a couple of months ago, and it's honestly one of the scariest moments of my life. My mom, older twin sisters, and I were going to be driving from Florida to Washington on a road trip. The previous year, we had driven down there to live in Florida, but we decided the place wasn't for us. Anyway, due to some minor issues we had with moving, we had to hire a man from some website to help us. He said he'd move our stuff for free, as long as we paid for the gas in both the moving truck and our own car, and of course feed him regularly. We agreed, since it seemed like a great deal. For the first two days, this guy was nice, but after that, he began to get more and more weird. He began to overreact about dumb things and even called my mom names, like a liar and whore and that he was going to ruin her life like she ruined him, which made no sense since she hadn't done anything, and we'd never even knew this man before. So while my mom was in Florida dealing with a psychopath, driving our moving truck with my two sisters alongside him in the front, I was dealing with insane paranoia. Just so you know, I have agoraphobia and tons of anxiety, so even being in a car outside scares me. Since day one, I'd noticed a white truck following us. It appeared at random times throughout the day, but I knew it was there. I'm not good with truck names or anything like that, so all I can say is it was your typical truck, except the license plate was just white with some random numbers. It didn't mention any state or anything, so that was weird. I had no clue if it was from Florida as well or what. Anyway... Nothing too major had happened, but I was still keeping an eye out on this truck. After a few days, my mom noticed it as well, becoming paranoid with me. Around day four, we had stopped at a fast food place because it was late and we were starving. I was waiting in the car with the dogs while my mom, sisters, and the crazy dude attempted to enjoy a meal. And that's when I saw the truck. It drove through, and I noted that the windows were tinted extremely black. Yeah, it was around 10 p.m., but there was no seeing through those windows. It slowed down right near us before pulling into a parking spot. No more than a few moments later, my dog started to go crazy. I have an American bulldog, and even though she's the sweetest dog ever, her bark is pretty loud and intimidating. So I'm sitting in the passenger seat, panicking, quickly locking all the doors when I see in the side mirror a tall man. He was just outside the back door, attempting to open it. When he saw the size of my dog, he quickly turned and left me there, and I was basically crying in the seat while my dog still went crazy. I'm thankful that we had rescued her just a few months earlier. Otherwise, I think I wouldn't be here right now to tell this story. Thanks to her, I'm still here, and not taken by some freak. Insane Florida man, let's not meet again. The South is rich with so much culture and history, 
history mixed with just as much pain and suffering as it has joy and peace. A lot of blood has been shed down here and a lot of attitude still remains. There are urban legends abound in the South, from monsters in the bayous of Louisiana to the psychos that prey upon people in Florida. The South is a happening place, but I can't always say it's a whole lot of good happening down here. And if you come down to visit, you'll either leave satisfied, full of home-cooked meals, or never leave at all. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Remember, you can send me your stories with the links in the description. And think about buying a shirt off my merch store at morbidmonsters.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there and stay creepy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.